blessed Savior, we adore thee. We thy love and grace proclaim. Thou art mighty, thou art holy. Glorious is thy matchless name. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name. Oh, Lord, glorious, glorious, glorious thy name, oh, Lord. From the throne of heaven's glory to the cross of sin and shame, thou didst come to die a ransom, Guilty sinners to reclaim. Glorious, glorious, glorious in thy name, O Lord. Glorious, glorious, glorious is thy name. O Lord, joyful, joyful, we adore Thee, God of glory, Lord of love. Hearts unfold like flowers before Thee, opening to the sun above. Melt the clouds of air and sadness, drive the dark of doubt away. Give her of immortal gladness, fill us with the light of day. All thy works with joy surround you, earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowering meadow, flashing sea. Sing, birds and flowing fountains, call us to rejoice in thee. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Bring forth the royal your diadem and crown him lord of all bring forth the royal diadem and crown him lord of all oh that which yonder sacred throne we at his feet may fall We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. We'll join the everlasting song and crown him Lord of all. Thank you. Be seated, please. Well, good morning. Good to see you here in the Lord's house on the time change day. And uh, I don't know how you do it at your home, but we change our clocks about 9 a.m. on Saturday morning and 
Kathy, you do the same thing. Good for you. We treat the whole day as if we're an hour ahead of time. So uh, that still, it still just does something to you. It still just takes you a while to get, get focused. Let me read this to us so we can focus this morning. Psalm 119, beginning in verse number 137. Righteous are you, O Lord, and upright are your judgments. Your testimonies, which you have commanded, are righteous and very faithful. And that's the kind of God we're going to talk about here this morning, is the God who is very faithful. Uh, It has been a week of technological issues here at Bethlehem. My computer's been on the fritz. I finally got that fixed this week. Uh, our church copier slash printer has, and communication between it and the computer with internet, beyond me. But guy here was all day on Thursday trying to fix it and whatnot. Anyway, ten bulletins got printed. So there's no bulletin. So what will we do this morning? All right. Y'all didn't laugh. Y'all need to wake up. That is serious, isn't it, Rock? Goodness me. I'm going to have to walk around while I preach today because I'm about half asleep too. Good gracious. All seriousness. So hopefully, uh, pray for technology. You never realize how much you depend on it until you don't have it. So anyway, a uh, couple highlights here for this week. Um, next uh, Sunday evening, uh, we're going to have a prayer walk. Uh, we'll meet, meet here in the sanctuary at 545 uh, this afternoon after service. I'm going to have a brief meeting on what that would look like and the, the specifics on that. Um, this is an idea that the staff and I talked about about two months ago, and it's an effort just to really reach out to where, we're at, where God has placed us. Uh, Buford Circle is within literally two minutes of us, and um, there's people there that need the gospel uh, and, and we have the gospel. Many of you live there, know folks there as well, and uh, we're going to be a shining light to that community. So uh, next Sunday night we'll have that prayer walk, but this afternoon after service uh, we'll have a brief meeting on what that will look like. Um, thank you in advance, and I believe what God's going to do will be really uh, a wonderful, wonderful thing. Ushers, let me have you guys come on forward this morning, and as they gi- uh, come, you give like God would have you to give, and uh, let's continue to worship here today. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we're able to gather in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. God, in all seriousness, thank you for the privilege of being here. Lord, I pray for many of us uh, as we come off of a week, maybe it's been tumultuous, a good week, whatever the specifics have been. Lord, I pray that you would let us meet with you. God, I have never been more convicted with clarity than I am today of the sermon that you have lit a fire for in my spirit. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Father, for every child in the nursery, every preschooler, every child in the Family Life Center right now, for students to adults here, God, for the Sunday school classes that are on retreat this weekend, minister powerfully. Thank you for the thrill of being able to give uh, because, Lord, you first gave as well. Lord, we're never more like you than when we're giving. Uh, Be with Rockney and the the choir ministry as they uh, lead us in worship, and may our worship be an overflow of our intimacy with you. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ I pray, and all God's people said, amen and amen.
all want about that amazing grace. And I hope that's something you have experienced. And I want you to sing, I mean, stand with me and sing as we sing this song together. It's called Amazing Grace, My Chains Are Gone, as we sing and celebrate that amazing grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. Was grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fear relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first my chains are gone i've been set free my god my savior has ransomed me i'm like a flood his mercy reigns amazing The Lord has promised good to me. His word, my hope, secures. He will my shield and portion be as long as life endures. My chains are gone, I've been set free, my God, my Savior, has ransomed me, and like a flood, His mercy ran, and in love, amazing The earth shall soon dissolve like snow. The sun forbear to shine. But God who called me here below will be forever When we've been there ten thousand 
Man, thank you, Dan. Well, just play, the, the way he played with intensity, man. A lot, of, a lot of hard work. Making mom and daddy proud, too, to do something like that. Hope you have a copy of the Word of God with you this morning. I want you to turn with me to the book of Acts today. Uh, Acts of the Apostles. And we're going to start in chapter 8. Acts chapter 8. And as you're turning there, just want to uh, reiterate, sometimes in life when it rains, it pours. You ever heard that statement made? Uh, just to piggyback on the computer trouble, I think that's important for me to make this known too. Uh, my co- computer got infected with this virus, like it's a human being, um, malware, whatever that is. So uh, It has had to be cleaned and a whole lot done with it. And uh, they, what they require for that is uh, green pieces of paper with dead presidents. So... Um, I've got to go settle up with them in Charlotte this week. And uh, somehow some uh, individual uh, that I've probably never even met, never will met, but boy, I'd love to give him what for uh, if I could meet him, um, got into my email, stole a bunch of email addresses, and now he's sending emails to everybody else asking for credit card information. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. So anyway, uh, if you get anything that is attached with my name on it or another church member's name on it, and it's asking about a credit card, don't open it um, because there are people that just don't know how to make an honest living and would rather make someone's life hard, uh, such as mine. And mine's hard enough uh, without a computer uh, hacker. So uh, guard your computers and um, however you can do that. But... uh, I know many of us are infected with something worse than a computer virus. And we got a disease that's swimming through our veins, and it's called sin. And there's no way that that virus can be extracted unless the blood of someone else covers us. And that's Jesus Christ. Today I want to talk to you for a few moments, if you allow me to have some time with you, about what the Bible teaches in Acts chapter 8 regarding uh, several important characters. One of the characters is Simon the sorcerer or a magician or a witchcraft, whatever you want to describe him as. And then we have Philip, we have Peter, and we have John as the main characters. And then we have a subgroup, the Samaritans. And as you know from the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, the Jews did not like Samaritans. They were half-breeds, a very derogatory term that the Jews referred to them as. So it's very interesting that one of the first people groups that is reached with the gospel is the group of the Samaritans. Now, let me go ahead and tell you, when you go to the book of Acts and you read Acts, it is not a book that you go to to develop or to learn doctrine. That is, you can't go to the book of Acts and read it and say, well, since God operated like this, then that means that that's the way he operates now. you got to remember something. The canon is closed. Now, when I use the word canon, this is important. Please don't miss this. The word canon refers to the books of the Bible. Hold up your Bible if you have one. You got one? Boy, that's a good-looking book. Genesis to Revelation. We have within our hands... The very authentic word 
of God. That is, that from the mouth of God and to the, to the very mind of man, there is, it, it's perfection. And we have the total will of God revealed in His amazing Word. However, here in the New Testament, it is important to remember that these men and women did not have a Bible like you and I have. If you go over to uh, Paul's letters to Timothy, it's very interesting to note that he even told Timothy, when you come, bring my jacket because I'm cold and bring the Old Testament parchments. What is he saying? He's saying, would you bring the Old Testament writings so I can have some material to read? He didn't walk around with a Bible. I mean, they used scrolls. Could you imagine if you were to walk around with scrolls in your hands? Hello, I want to talk to you about Jesus. Let me just roll out my scroll. You can't do that. They couldn't do that. So here in the New Testament, it was even more crucial. They were preaching the Word of God. And as they were preaching, there was the presence of the Holy Spirit who validated the preaching of the gospel. And the Holy Spirit uh, captured the attention. He aroused the consciences of the hearers in these days. And it wasn't until later years that the apostles began to write down uh, uh, the Gospels and um, even uh, the, the Epistles. As a matter of fact, had God not supernaturally put Paul in prison, we wouldn't have a New Testament. Because Paul was so evangelistic-minded that he wasn't spending time writing letters. So when he wrote letters, it was because God divinely and gloriously put him in a prison so that we could have the Epistles that we have today. I mean, he wrote most of the New Testament. And had he not been in prison, we would have never had it. So these early Christians did not have the New Testament. You say, Jason, why are you talking like this? Oh, when we read Acts 8, you'll figure out why. Because we're going to read some stuff that will just make you wonder, well, what do I believe about this? Well, I want to clear that up. But the message this morning is characteristics of false conversion. I believe that we live in a day and age where counterfeits are everywhere. I believe that we're living in a day where uh, what is right is no longer called right and what is wrong is no longer called wrong and everything is muddled. It's a um, crock pot of watered down truth, even if you want to use the word truth. And I believe counterfeit is on the rise, but I believe the Word of God teaches us how to recognize counterfeit, how to recognize what is true and what is right as it pertains to an individual's relationship with Jesus Christ. Acts chapter 8, the Bible begins reading in verse number 14. Now when the apostles who were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them, who when they had come down prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For as yet he had fallen upon none of them, they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. And when Simon saw that through the laying on of the apostles' hands the Holy Spirit was given, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, that anyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter 
said to him, Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter, for your heart is not right in the sight of God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps that the thought of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. Father, I would ask that you would be with the one who speaks. God, that we would see Jesus. Lord, that the one who speaks would be given clarity, conviction, and God, a concise way of saying what you would have me to say today. I want to pray for a person in this room that may be wrestling with their standing before you, that God, today it would be sealed to their soul that they know Christ as Lord and Savior. God, I want to pray for someone in this room that is blinded, that you would open up that person's heart to truth and that that person would say yes to the Lord Jesus this morning. Father, in perilous days as these, I pray for physical safety over this campus. I pray that you would meet with us, that we would walk out of this room closer than we walked in. And it's in the name of Jesus I pray, and every heart said, Amen and Amen. Context is king. Here in Acts chapter 8, we have a man named Simon. Uh, We don't know all of the whereabouts of where he came from. We don't know much about where he went. There are some traditions out there of what possibly happened to him that some of the early church fathers wrote about. But we don't know what happened to Simon the sorcerer. But we can know this beyond a shadow of a doubt that the gospel merged to the Samaritans. Now, that's extremely important. Here in the New Testament, anytime the gospel was promoted to another people group that had never heard of the gospel. The Holy Spirit came to validate the preaching of the Word of God. For instance, praise is telling God how great He is. Evangelism is telling someone else how great God is. But missions is telling someone about a Jesus that they don't know that there's a Jesus to believe in. Next Sunday night, for those of us that will go and uh, minister in the uh, Buford Circle area, more than likely we'll be telling people about a gospel that they're already aware of. But to be missions-minded is telling someone about a Jesus that they don't know that there's a Jesus to believe in. They've never heard of a Jesus Christ. The Samaritans were completely oblivious to this gospel. So an entire new people group, UPGs, the North American Mission Board can call it, or the International Mission Board, unreached people groups that have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that don't even have the New Testament in their own heart language. That is the own language that they speak. So here the Samaritans hear the word of God, and some things happen that are very different than what you and I have ever heard. The Bible says that they were baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ, but they had not yet received the Holy Spirit. 
So does that mean that when you come to know Jesus Christ and you're baptized, does that mean that you've got to wait until three days later that the Holy Spirit needs to hurry up and get here from heaven so that you can be truly saved? Absolutely not. The very moment that your spirit is awakened, the Holy Spirit indwells you as a believer and you have all access to who God is because God has taken up residence in you. You say, why, pray tell, here in the Bible, does the Holy Spirit come in such a manner after they are baptized? Remember, the canon is still open. God is still moving. The epistles haven't been written. The doctrine hasn't been hammered out. The, the gospel has not been promoted like it has been in these days. So the Holy Spirit comes. Some have even called it a Samaritan Pentecost. When the Holy Spirit came at the Pentecost, he settled and he breathed on the church. Samaria got a hold of the gospel. And now an entirely new people group is dispatched on mission for the glory of God. I want to set that context before we get in here to the passage because we're going to read some things that you may have never um, grappled with. And I'm not here to expose anything new, but I am here to share with you this, that when you read the book of Acts, you need to read it in light of what has already been written in the, in, in the epistles of salvation. So when you trust Christ, you got all of God that you'll ever, ever need. But there's a lesson that we need to learn here, and it goes back to a man named Simon. I want to tell you about Simon's life. You can read about him in verses 4 through 13. The Samaritans heard the gospel. The Bible even says that Simon was a sorcerer. He was the one who worked witchcraft. And these people lived off of magic. The church at Ephesus, most of them came from a witchcraft-type background. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that... Uh, uh, they burned some of their scrolls that showed them how to do magic. And the worth of them, we couldn't hardly put an estimate on the value of it. When the gospel began to be promoted, some of these sorcerers even got together in the latter book of Acts. And they said, what are we going to do with this gospel? Because it's intruding on the way we make a living. So this wasn't just a card game. That they had to, they said, well, we're not going to play cards anymore. Cards ain't sin, pardon my English. We play, um, we play cards at our house a lot. Um, it wasn't that a game they had to give up. This was a complete turnaround for who they were. That is, their whole livelihood was being invaded upon. And Simon, rather than seeing the gospel as a new way of life, he saw the gospel as a ticket to more money. Let me read you the context. Verse number 12 of Acts 8 says, But when they believed Philip as he preached, but when they believed Philip as he preached the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, both men and women were baptized, then Simon himself also believed. And when he was baptized, he continued with Philip, watch this, and was amazed, seeing the, the miracles and signs that were done. You say, hold on, Pastor. The Bible says that Philip believed and he was baptized. Was he saved? No, he wasn't. 
First truth I want to talk about with false conversion is a belief that deifies the benefits. When I use the term deify, what I mean is you exalt the benefits, the results, and there is no intention on a relationship with the God that saves. For many people, church is a good way to have a good standing in a community. Now, I'm going to go ahead and say, we're coming in today, people don't give a hill of beans about church standing anyway. But there was a day in the 70s and 80s and 90s where people did want to be a part of a church for, good church, for, for a good standing within the community. You go out to Denver, Colorado, listen, watch this. If you listen, say amen. There are more Starbucks, McDonald's, and other fast food rest, Excuse me. There are more places to get marijuana than there are Starbucks and McDonald's and fast food places combined. People can't get a church building out there. And if they get access to a, uh, to a building to have a church, the owner of the building will say, I don't think I want to open it up to you because you're a church. Friend, if we got 200-some-odd churches in Lancaster County, I'm not a rocket scientist, but something's wrong. We're just as damned as Denver. And if that is more of an offensive statement than the fact that people are lost, you don't have a hill of beans understanding of the gospel. Lancaster is just as condemned as Denver. We are inoculated, Ken, with self-righteousness. Are you enamored with the benefits of the gospel more than you are the beloved that brings salvation? You see, Simon thought, if I could have an inroad, I could use this new way. Because a matter of fact, you can look at the text. Simon was called a great God. And boy, he had them, he had them fooled. And he knew, boy, this new way that's coming about, these Samaritans are flocking to it. Well, shuck, sign me up. Because I can continue to follow this new way and now I can fool them. Boy, I need to learn from this Philip. I've seen the signs and the wonders. I want to follow him. For many people that have gotten involved in church life and get their name on a roll, get their head under water, what has happened is they have been enamored with the flow and the excitement and there is no continuance in the faith that they once professed. Beloved, I want to tell you the authenticity of your salvation is your furtherance in the gospel as opposed to when you just believed. Are you continuously walking in this gospel? Look at what the Bible says. It says in verse number 14, Now the apostles were at Jerusalem. And they heard about Samaria. Now they were dispatched. Peter and John were dispatched. That is, they were going there to validate, to put their stamp of approval, to make sure, hey, they truly got the gospel. They understood what was going on. It wasn't just a fly-by-night. It wasn't just a short-lived jailhouse-type conversion, if you will. It was genuine. For instance... Magicians in these days would buy by trading, that they would give money to another magician so that they could learn the tricks of the trade. And as we get deeper into the context, Simon is seen offering money for Philip because he thinks he's just got a new trick up his sleeve. I want to learn about this trick because I want to keep people fooled. 
Because I believe that the gospel is nothing more than a fool's gospel. It's just fooling people. Karl Marx, basically the one that was one of the spearheaders of the Industrial Revolution, said religion is the opium of the masses. Many people today believe that, that the gospel is a crutch to live on. And can I be honest with you? I'll be the first to say, you're dead right. The gospel is a crutch. I can't walk on my own. What's that good southern gospel song? Charles Johnson and the Revivers. You may or may not have heard of them. Look them up on YouTube. They are a black group. And I'm going to tell you, black, yellow, red, white, certain people worship different, and God created us that way. But, Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. The gospel does prop me up because I can't make it through this life by myself. But there are some people that you may know the gospel is nothing more than a fool's gospel. It's just about what you can get out of it. It's nothing more than what it can do for you. It's not what you can put into it, and that's it. It's a belief that deifies the benefits. All they've exalted is the benefits that they believe that the gospel brings, not a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I just don't want to go to hell. Well, nobody does, pardon me. Nobody wants to go to hell. I wanted Jesus to come into my heart so I wouldn't have to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell either. But my friend, Jesus doesn't come into your heart as much as you get grafted into him into the branch and when you're grafted into the branch you have new life and Simon did not have new life he just wanted to get some tricks of the trade he just wanted something to help his life spoke with a man just this past week he's in his mid-60s right now and he's a very prominent man in the community I'm not going to call him by name you might would know him but he said he was 40 years old when he got saved he said for all of his life he wanted to climb the ladder and he had a list Joey of uh, goals on his desk one day he said God just woke him up spiritually and he's and the spirit of God prompted him to look at the goals on his desk nothing of a spiritual nature was on those goals and he said he got saved right there he'd grown up in church knew about the gospel all his life now he's in ministry what happened he just wanted the benefits been a part of church all his life but had no concept of the beloved Ephesians 1 7 says I'm accepted in the beloved my friend if you're in Christ you're accepted in the beloved Lord Jesus Christ. And that's an amazing thought. A belief that deifies the benefits. Secondly, I want to talk to you for a few moments about a belief that devalues godliness. A belief that devalues godliness. That is, for a person that says that they want to come to know Jesus Christ and then live like they choose, that is nowhere to be found in the Bible. There is no such thing as getting saved and then doing whatever you want to do. Actually, I didn't tell that correctly. Once you do know Christ, you can do whatever you want to do. But the amazing thing is, the want to switches. Titus chapter 2 verses 9 and 10 says that we learn to adore the doctrine of God our Savior. 1 Timothy 4 verse 6 says we're nourished in the words of faith and the good doctrine which we fully follow. It means we are nourished 
by this gospel. Listen, Simon was not one that wanted to value godliness. He was someone that valued greed, someone that valued gain, that valued what can I get out of this as we covered in the first point. But now this is someone that doesn't want any change, that does not want the gospel, but simply wants greed in these moments. And look at what the Bible says here. It says in verse 17, they laid hands on them. They received the Holy Spirit. Spirit. That is, God was authenticating upon them that yes, this gospel is true. You be dispatched as Samaritans and tell your people that the gospel has come not only to the Jew, but through the Jew because Samaritans were half Jews, half Gentiles, and now anybody that wants to can be saved. Get the gospel out there. That's what was going on. But Simon saw Wow, they now have the Holy Spirit. There is something different about them. I need to add the Spirit to my bag, oh tricks. And I, out of greed, desire to have such a life. How many times does it happen? Maybe it happened in childhood with someone that you know. Maybe it happened to you. And I am not in any way putting negative uh, vibes in the room about evangelism among our precious children. Because the Bible says in Mark, you come as a little child. By the way, you know what that means? It means you come with no expectation. No expectation whatsoever. The thief on the cross cried out, remember me when you go to your kingdom. He had no expectation, James, of even entering heaven. But Lord, would you remember me? He came as a little child. The tax collector and the Pharisee, and Jesus spoke of them. The tax collector who wouldn't even lift up his eyes to heaven said, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The tax collector in his self-righteousness said, Thank God I'm not like the tax collector. Who was justified? The tax collector. No expectation whatsoever. But what about evangelism with children? You have seen it so many times. You want to be saved. Oh, my goodness, a five-year-old's hand shoots up. Then a little seven-year-old's hand shoots up. Then an eight-year-old hand shoots up. And my goodness, then you got about 10 or 11 coming up, and they're sort of eyeballing each other. If you're getting up and coming to the front, I'm going to come too. And all of a sudden, we've got a slew of kids, and can God save people? Absolutely people can get saved in childhood. Jesus knows, excuse me, Lizzie knows that Jesus died for her. Judah knows that I don't care if I lead him to Jesus I just want him to get to Jesus I don't have to do that it doesn't have to be me that baptized me I just want him to get to Jesus that'd be a nice perk but I just want him to get there but beloved I want to tell you that when we just have time after time and 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 and, and there's in mass just people that will come and all of a sudden they come but then they never stay first John says they went out from us because they were never of us. They are possessing a facade of godliness. That's why when a person at seven, eight years of age, if they do not truly understand the good news of the gospel and what that truly means later on in their lives, they will wonder why church life doesn't click with them. And that can explain to us that why 18 years of age people have just checked out. And that's why that mom and daddies are so scared of their kids going to a college 
because they feel that their student isn't grounded enough to get through that college. Their, that college is not strong enough. If the gospel is rooted within the human heart, I questioned my professors at Wingate. They hated me. And I'm not so sure the feeling wasn't so mutual. I learned from them, fellowship with them. But the Jesus that I know is bigger than anything else that someone says. And mom and daddy, if you're scared to death about your kid going off to college, you need to ask yourself the question, do they personally have a relationship with Jesus whereby they can stand the test of time? Let me burst your bubble because I've had to burst my own. You can only shelter them but so much. Honestly, I enjoyed my professors at Wingate. They were good guys, just wacky with their beliefs. I liked them. They liked me. We got along. We fellowshiped at each other's. I fellowshiped at their home. But I had a relationship with Jesus Christ that far succeeded just my grown-up years of, oh, I need to run to Jesus and try to get to know him real quick. But for some people, because they went through emotional experience at a certain time in their life, they believe that may be all they need. And then there's no fruit whatsoever. There's a devalue of godliness. The Bible says in, in, in 2 Timothy verses three, chapter 3, verses 4 and 5, there will be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. They're possessing a facade of godliness. There will be people who possess a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. Simon had no form of godliness. He had a form of greed whereby he longed to have what Philip possessed. And in his desire to possess what Philip possessed, he lost any hope that he had of coming truly to know Jesus Christ. Jesus, who wrote the book on how to win friends and influence people, said this in Matthew 23 and verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead man's bones and uncleanness. Let me give you a little principle about Jewish history. Jews, about once a year, would go to the tombs and they would whitewash the tombs. That is, they would add a coat of plaster to protect and make clean those tombs. Because the Bible says in the book of Numbers that God gave a Mosaic law that the Jews are not to touch anything dead, thereby, whereby they would be unclean. So they would whitewash the tombs. The outside would be clean, but the inside they would still be full of corpses. And Jesus said, you're just like the whitewashed 
plastered tombs. You got a smile plastered on your face and you're singing like you've got God's amazing grace. Your hands are raised, but you inwardly have no hope of the good news that I came to promote. And Simon here is just like them. That's why Peter looks at Simon eyeball to eyeball and he makes this astounding statement. Your money perish with you because you thought that the gift of God could be purchased with money. You have neither part nor portion in this matter. Your heart is not right. Thirdly, I want to talk about a belief that dismisses a change of heart. A belief that dismisses a change of heart. You see, this belief stopped short of his heart being changed. All he wanted to do was add this greedy new way that he thought was a newfangled religion to his his bag of tricks. And my friend, Jesus Christ will never be satisfied by being added to your life. He wants to be your life. And he may turn life upside down so that your dependency is solely upon him. A belief that dismisses a change of heart. Look at what the Bible says in verse 22. Repent of this wickedness. Pray that if God perhaps would forgive the thought of your heart. Verse 23. You're poisoned by bitterness. You're bound by iniquity. You see, he never dealt with his heart. You see, belief and repentance are two sides of the same coin. All right? I actually got money with me today. Normally I'm broke. Dave Ramsey tells me I'm broke, so that's the way I live. Can't pay for it, don't buy it. That's the way I live. Credit card companies hate me. I'm not going to pay the minimum charge. If I can't afford it, I don't need it. You say, will you go without? Absolutely. I came in this world naked, and I'm going to leave naked. But I'll tell you something about this dollar bill. George Washington's staring at you on the front, and on the back of it, you have one written there. Now, if I were to... How, how in the world can you have one side without the other? How in the world can it be a full dollar bill unless you've got both sides? Listen, my friend, belief and repentance are, bo- are two sides of the same coin or two sides of the same dollar bill. You can't separate one without the other. When you believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, by default, you are repenting of the idolatry of self when you're saying that he's right, I'm wrong, I want to follow him. When you repent, you are saying, I'm no longer trusting myself to save me, I'm trusting in him to save me, and thereby I am going to agree with what he agrees with, and I'm going to say no to what he says no to. You say, Jason, are you advocating sinless perfection? Absolutely not. Live with me, and you'll find out I am not perfect by any means, Jack. I've got a lot of chinks in my armor. My wife's not going to say amen right now, but she could say amen to the, hop, to the top of her lungs. But I will tell you this, that as you have come to know Christ and Christ gets more access to you, there will be ongoing, deeper repentance in your life. Let me ask you this question, beloved. When was the last time you repented? It shouldn't have been long. If it was three days ago, you're out of fellowship with God. 
If you're listening to what I taught you, you understand intimacy with God. I don't believe, I'd bet my house on it, that you've not gone three days without sinning. You, you, you just can't do it. Let me rephrase that. You could, but you didn't. If any man sins, well, we don't have to, but we're going to. Simon didn't repent. Boy, Jesus sounds good. I'm going to add him to my life. I'm going to add Jesus to my drinking. I'm going to add him to my life. I'm going to add him to every piece of who I am. And that way he can just be a part of who I am. And he can be my friend, my helper, my God help us. Jesus is my homeboy shirt that they came out with in the early 90s. Good gracious alive. Jesus is not your buddy. He is not your friend. He is not your compadre. He is Lord. And he never, ever, ever, ever came to you and said, would you accept me into your life? Matter of fact, the only time he ever gave an invitation was follow me. Don't ask me in. I understand we ask Jesus into our heart. I get that terminology. I truly understand that. We don't say, Jesus, come into my liver. Don't come into my kidney. Don't come into my foot. We say heart because for, for Americans, we view the heart as the seat of who we are. So we want him to, be, to, to, to possess all of us. But the Bible says, come after me. Take up your cross and follow me. Simon didn't do that. He just said, boy, I want what you got. What is it going to cost you? Years ago, Roy Jesse, the man with two first names, we called him. Precious, precious man of God. Uh, he's still with us in this life, but he's nearing home. He's in his mid um, season of going through some very tumultuous health issues. Fifty years ago, a pastor came by his house and asked him about salvation, and he said, yeah, how much is it going to cost? Because he thought I could pay to be a member of a church and I could get saved. Well, he collided with Christ, and God saved him and changed him. But my friend, there's nothing you can bring to the table whereby you can be made right with God. Do you know why the cross is offensive? The cross is offensive because it says you're not good enough. That's what it says. It doesn't say you're good enough, you're smart enough, people like you. God thinks you're special and loves you very much, not to knock off on veggie tails. Target has shirts that say your daughter's a princess, your boy's a king, he's a prince, all this good stuff. Listen, no they ain't. They're mean. We're wicked. But because we've been taught from childhood that God loves me very much and wants to be in my life and a part of my life because I'm a good person and I just need more of God so I can have a better life and God believes in me and he hopes I believe in me too. Now we've got a bunch of self-washed, washed-up people with whitewashed tombs that think that God owes them something. And if a church doesn't offer things to suit my needs, I'm going to go to another place that can suit my needs. I had a man tell me years ago at East Campus with his youth group, he said, my kids' needs, James, aren't getting met. Eighteen years have gone by. His kids' needs still haven't gone met. And do you know why, Karen? Because he was wanting to band-aid what he thought was a real need. 
but the need was repentance, not a more fun place to be. We do need to have enjoyable places within our fellowships. We do need things of that nature. But, beloved, I want to tell you, if we can entertain someone to get them, someone else can come along the lines and entertain them to remove them. How, let me say this. There's men in this room that are better dads than me. They are. But I've not seen Lizzie running around saying, Caleb, I love you. I'm not knocking on you. I can say this because you're my buddy. I've never had Lizzie say, Daddy, I kind of like Caleb and Katie. I'm going to go live with them. That's never happened. James has never asked me that question. Your little boy James has never asked me that question. Why? That's mom and daddy. I'm mom and daddy. You get the picture. I may not as be entertaining as the next person. I may not be Disney World and like the other people. Don't get me started on uh, going to Disney World. I may not be entertaining and doing stuff, and my little girls and boys might be learning that they got to say no when they go to Sonic Burger sometimes. They can't have everything they want and want everything. That they, can want every, they can want everything they have, but they can't have everything they want. Amen? But just because we may struggle doesn't mean that they're going to check out and go to someone else's house so that they can have a better mama or a daddy. You get the picture, my friend? There's always going to be something bigger and better. There's going to be a more eloquent preacher. Good gracious. Put me on the bottom of the barrel. Listen, God can use anybody. God, if you've not heard anything, you hear this. If God can use me, God can use anybody. I want to keep to myself. It could be me and me and me for three days, and I think we had a great day. That's it. God had to do a work in me for me to be able to do this. But, beloved, I want to tell you, it's not about entertaining in the sense that, uh, well, I need to provide something so that later on my child will want to stay and hang around. Do they have a relationship with Jesus on his or her own? You see, Simon didn't have that. You're poisoned by bitterness. You're bound by iniquity. How do we know he had no relationship? The Bible tells us this. Look at what he said in verse 24. Then Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me that none of the things which you have spoken may come upon me. How's that for a man that knows Jesus Christ? He didn't know him. Peter said, listen, you need to repent. You're not rightly related to the Lord. You are in a bond of bitterness and, and you are in iniquity. He's literally saying this bitterness has chained you in iniquity. You need to get right with God. He didn't cry out, my God, I'm a sinner. He said, would you pray for me? Would you pray for me? For many people, we're so close to the church, but the head of the church is not within. You see, true grace works the heart to the hatred of all sin and to the love of all truth. And God's not called me to live off someone else's faith. Billy Graham died. I'm okay. Charles Stanley, I love him. He's going to cross over one day. John MacArthur, he's going to cross over one day. I love him. If you're looking for a good study Bible, the John MacArthur Study Bibles or Mercedes Benz of all Bibles. 
R.C. Sproul's Reformation Bible, that's another pretty good one too. R.C. Sproul made it home this year too. One of these days, I'm, I'm going to weep and I'm going to grieve. But some men that I know and love that are not much older than me, that I have watched and they've mentored me, they're going to go to be with the Lord. But I'm going to be okay. I'm not going to need to say, well, who's going to pray for me now? Jesus and me are going to be all right. My friend, are you all right with Jesus? If I were to ask you, have you believed in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in Jesus Christ? Has he done a work in you? Do you have holy affections for the things of God? Are you convicted of sin? And do you, do you repent often? If God never did anything else for you, would you be content just knowing Him? I'm not in your skin, but if you can answer a glorious yes to those questions, in all probability you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. But friend, if you squirm to answer those questions with a glorious yes, you need to examine your heart today. Do you know him? How well do you know him? I don't want anybody in this room to be a Simon. I want us to know him in a wonderful way. The thrill of my life is knowing Jesus. The thrill of my heart is knowing Him. At three o'clock this morning, the Lord and I met in our living room, and I was praying for today. And, and my desire for everyone in this room is that we have an abiding, intimate, relationship with the God that created us. That there is a joy unspeakable and full of glory, as First Peter tells us. And I want you to have that. And if not, today can be your day of salvation. And I'm not going to say with every head bowed, with every eye closed, I'm going to say with every eye open, with everybody staring at me right now, do you know the King of glory? And if you don't, run to him today. Let's stand and let's worship and let's praise him. Dear Jesus, I come to you right now not because I'm good, but because you're God. And I pray for my brothers and sisters in this room that, Lord, maybe they're here today and they have grown cold. Would you reignite a passion in their spirits to know you? God, for a person in this room that maybe they're like Simon, not interested in godliness, no affections for 
the gospel of Jesus Christ. No repentance. God, would you wake that person up? And Lord, may that person say yes to the call. The convicting call of salvation right now. Lord, for the mom and daddy in this room that may be struggling with where their child is. Lord, I pray that they would make the number one prayer of their hearts. That you would save their children. It's a no-brainer. Lord, your word tells us in 2 Peter 3.18, you're not willing that any should perish. Or 3.9, you're not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Lord, would you save somebody? Make hearts new. Refresh spirits today. You may need to come pray at an altar. You may need to run to Christ and say yes to Him. If that's the case, man, I'd love to know that you said yes to Him. God, do something great in these moments. May we turn our eyes upon Jesus. God, may the things of this world grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and grace. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen and amen. You do quickly what our Lord tells you to do.